0: All right, so we're coming to the end of the book of James now, and um, we won't make it, like I said, today, but we've come to the end of James, and and like we talked about last week, basically James ends chapter 5 in the book of James with um, basically three different types of instructions as he sums up this book. Last week we dealt with really personal integrity, about doing what you say you're going to do. If you you, you live a life of truth, you don't have a need for oaths, right? If If people can trust you, you don't have to swear by anything. Well, as he finishes that section on personal integrity, he moves to a section on prayer. And we'll be dealing with verses 13 through 18 this morning in James chapter 5. And in James chapter 5, verses 13 through 18. Prayer is mentioned in every single verse. So it's obvious that James is talking about prayer. It leaves us no doubt. And when I say the word prayer, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Do you think duty? Do you think privilege? I mean, is it a a daily task to be completed or kind of like brushing your teeth, something you have to do? Or do you actually look forward to it? Is it something that you want to do? But what if I ask you a follow-up question and I say, well, how is your prayer life? Right? How is your prayer life? What would you say? And before you say anything, by the way, these are rhetorical. Nobody needs to raise their hand. Before you say anything, before you even think through this, is it, is it a regular, honest prayer before the Lord with your hopes pain your struggles with sin your desires is it daily praise for god and his goodness and his grace are you confessing your sins asking the lord to cleanse you from all unrighteousness and the, the stains of this world that we dirty ourselves with it, Is it your joy to commune with your savior every day The thing about prayer is, like Bible reading, it is a spiritual discipline. We have to train ourselves for godliness, like Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy 4, verse 7, like a a runner in a race, we train ourselves for godliness. It's a commitment. It takes time, like anything in our lives, for something to become a habit They've done studies. They say that for something to become a habit in your life, it takes 30 days of repetition. Is prayer a habit in your life? After all, prayer in itself, communion with God, is a sign of a regenerated heart and a changed life. Unbelievers cannot commune with God. God hears their prayers, but He refuses. Refuses to listen to the prayers of unbelievers. Proverbs 28, 9, if one turns away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer is an abomination. Isaiah 59, 1 and 2, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that he cannot save, or his ear dull, that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden His face from you so that He does not hear. God does not listen to the prayers of the ungodly. The only prayer that He will listen to is a prayer of repentance. But that's not the same when it comes to us, comes to believers, comes to the church. God hears our prayers. In fact, he helps us. Romans 8, 26, In the same way the Spirit helps our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. You see, as a, we have as a privilege that we can pray. I had a university student come to me for some counseling a few years ago, and he and he came with struggles. He was struggling with anxiety and fear about his future. He was living a life of of very little joy. He was struggling with indecisiveness. He was basically he was fearful. And I asked him why he was fearful, and he was joyless. And he said, "Well, I have a lot going on." Quote unquote. I said, "Okay." He said, I have school, and I'm struggling my grades up and down. I've got a lot of pressure from my parents to do well. I have a job. I have to work as well to help pay for my uni. I have a girlfriend. The pressures, and she wants to get married. I'm entering my final year and a half of uni, and I'm thinking about marriage. All this stuff is just, just weighing me down. I said, okay. And I said, well... Are you, are you praying about any of this stuff? Are you praying about these struggles? I said, honestly, not a once in a week, Lord, help me, but are you actually spending time before the Lord in prayer? And he said, well, to be honest, not really. I said, okay. And I said, look, I don't want to make light of your circumstances. But do you think the Christians in the first century had less pressures upon them? I think our brethren in China who are facing persecution have less pressure upon them each and every day. I said, how did they endure and how do they endure with joy all the things that they are going through? I said, the answer is prayer. Communion with God Almighty a daily fellowship with the Lord in which you have that that joy of being in His presence, a cleansing from sin, and the strength to endure your circumstances. Well, brethren, as James comes to this final section, after speaking about personal integrity, he wants to deal with prayer in the life of the individual believer and the life of the church. And he challenges us. And he challenges in the light of the suffering and the hardship that we know these first century Christians were enduring, he challenges them to pray in all seasons, because prayer is for all seasons. Now, there's four distinctives in regards to prayer in chapter 5, verses 13 through 18, and we we won't get very far this morning because there's a a lot of meat here in this text. And a lot of it is uh, fairly, uh, you'll find a very diverse group of opinions on. But we're going to deal with this special this morning that prayer is for all seasons in verse 13. So let's go ahead and look at the text and then we'll dig in. Verse 13 of chapter 5 of James. Is there any one of you suffering? Then he must pray. Is any one of you cheerful? He used to sing praises. Is any one of you sick? Then he must call for the elders of the church and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. Then he prayed again, and the sky poured rain, and the earth produced its fruit. And that's where we're going to stop. So first of all, brother, I want you to see that prayer is for all seasons. James adds some staccatos at the beginning, and he says, is anyone suffering? And literally, he just says, pray. English kind of... Words it up a little bit, because it is a command. And then he says, is anyone cheerful? And he says, sing praises, which is also a command. Let's deal with, first of all, prayer in all seasons. Well, prayer is a must in times of suffering. Now, one thing I want you to remember, and if you will, flip over to the book of Acts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Acts chapter 8, because I want to make sure you get the background The book of James, just as a reminder, this goes way back to when we started the book of James many weeks ago, chapter 8, verse 1, I want you to see the beginnings, or excuse me, the the context of what was happening during the time of James. Verse 1, Saul was in hearty agreement with putting him to death, and on that day a great persecution began against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Some devout men buried Stephen and made a loud lamentation. But Saul began ravaging the church, entering house after house, and dragging off men and women and putting them in prison. Therefore, those who had been scattered went about preaching the word. So you see, there was a, this is the church in Jerusalem that James is writing to. I'm sorry, from. He's writing from the church in Jerusalem. And many believers had been scattered throughout modern-day Turkey and even parts of the Mediterranean. James actually says in James chapter 1, verse 1, James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, through the 12 tribes who are dispersed abroad. Right? So the church endured persecution and they scattered. Okay? So they're experiencing a suffering for the name of Jesus Christ. And when we think about suffering, and when James uses the word suffering, what is he talking about specifically? He's talking about abuse, slander. James has mentioned robbery of wages, even injustice to the point of death. You see, they're suffering because of their faith. By the way, it's the same word, just to give you some more context. Same word in verse 10 of chapter 5, when James says, As an example, brethren, of suffering, right there, and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. So these individuals were enduring great pressure at the hands of the ungodly. Great suffering. And there was, there's a mental aspect, the spiritual aspect that weighed on these believers just as much as the, you can imagine, the physical strain. If you will, flip with me again, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, because I want to point out the Apostle Paul and his life, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 Second Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. Are they servants of Christ? I speak as if insane. I, the more so. In far more labors and far more imprisonments, beaten times without number in danger of death, Fifty, sorry, five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. In the night and the day I've spent in the deep. I have been on frequent journeys and dangers from rivers and dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights and hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. Apart from such external things, there is the daily pressures of me and the concern for all the churches." Who is weak without being, me being weak? Who is led into sin without my intense concern? So there's a, there's a physical aspect and a mental and a spiritual and emotional aspect to suffering. 2 Timothy 4 9, the only other case where this word for suffering is used in the scriptures, it says, but you. Paul's speaking to Timothy, but you be sober-minded, endure hardship. The hardship is the same word for suffering. It's hardship. Do the work of an evangelist and fulfill your ministry. Right? Timothy, Paul knew that Timothy would endure hardship for the name of Jesus Christ. Believers, you will face opposition from the world. If you claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ, just remember that God, sorry, that Satan hates. God, the world hates God, and the world hates you because it hated Christ, first of all. Pray, Praise the Lord, by the way. Praise the Lord for this time that we have in Australia. Praise the Lord that we can worship freely. But as we see a continual moral and spiritual decline in the world we live in, the United States and Australia and the Western world that has rejected God as a foundation for life and justice and government, we're going to see a greater opposition to biblical truth. You can see this. I read of a pastor, an Australian pastor, actually, in, in England the other day, that he made a comment about a gay pride parade being canceled. Just an offhand comment like, good, we shouldn't celebrate sin. And there's such an uproar, there's even people talking, talking about having him deported when he when he just clearly stated a biblical truth. Praise the Lord that we aren't experiencing those types of suffering at the moment. But brethren, they'll they'll come eventually. So James says, if you're suffering, if you're if you're under hardship for the name of Christ, if you're if you're in mental anguish, spiritual torment, physical pressure. He says, if you are suffering, what does he say to you? He says, pray. And he makes it very simple. Pray. Now, the word here for prayer has to do with direct petition to God. Right? There, there's different words for prayer, and there's general terms, but this is a direct petition, a direct approach to God. And then, by the way, it's not only is it a command, the majority in the back, it's a present imperative. It means it's a a continual, habitual life of prayer. So that when you are suffering, you should be in daily communion with God. When you're in distress and those emotions are boiling up and those fears are, are attempting to overwhelm you, like a wave in the ocean, the source of your comfort and strength should be Christ Himself. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 3 and 4 Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort who comforts us in all our affliction so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort which we ourselves are comforted by God God is the God of all comfort and you can imagine these believers who have have lost their homes through through injustice and the ill-gotten means, their families are starving because they aren't receiving their, their righteous rages that they've earned. They've watched their family members succumb to injustice and, and, and die. They've, they've seen themselves persecuted. Their businesses are failing. They're enduring hardship. And James says, pray. That's the priority of your life. It's prayer. 2 Corinthians 7, 6, Paul says of the coming of Titus, he says, But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the arrival of Titus. Even Paul was downcast at times. And guess who gave him comfort? God did. Well, this is a continual prayer. You're, you're pleading for God for wisdom. If you remember at the beginning of James, in James chapter 1, he says that if you lack Wisdom, in verse 5, let him ask of God who gives to, to all generously. Now, what's the wisdom that you're praying for? Well, James is talking about wisdom to understand your trials, understand the hardships that you're going through. That's what he's specifically talking about when he says pray for wisdom, you, to understand what God is doing, understand how you should respond appropriately But it's a daily pleading for strength and pleading for the right attitude. Because James says we should have joy in trials. And if you don't have joy in your trials, right, then this is an issue of the heart. You're not getting what you want. And maybe what you want is to not be in the trial. But it's about perspective. Remember, James says that when you go through trials, they're for a purpose so that God can what? teach you endurance and as you grow in your endurance as you grow in your ability to to last longer to endure this world as a Christian you grow in your faith and trust in God it's an old adage but does our faith really grow in times of plenty it's the lean times in our life the times of hardship when our faith really grows Brethren, instead of of us complaining bitterly over our situation to to others and God and and indulging in self-pity, oh, woe is me, we have to go to God with our complaints. Psalm 46.1, God is our, what is our refuge, our strength, our help in times of need. Why should we fear? Brethren, we can't have, The attitude of blaming God when we're going through a tough time. Yes, God is the ultimate cause of trials, but He has good intentions. But our growth in our faith requires tribulations at times. How do we learn patience if there aren't hard people to deal with? Parents, right? We we learn a lot of patience. You get married. You you learn how selfish you are, and you have to have to deal with another unsanctified person as God is sanctifying both of you at the same time. And then you add kids to that mix, right? I to teach you patience. Teach you the value of prayer when you're praying about your little ones and asking for help in re- in regards to their behavior, in regards to their salvation. You think about. I think about my yard yesterday. Uh, the grass, I let it go. Just been busy. It got to be, you know, I don't know. I'm going to give you feet, but I can't do it. So what is that like? A, I don't know, half a meter. It was pretty high, and uh, I kept thinking, like, I got to go cut my grass. <laughs> but I was finishing up sermon stuff, and it was it was really pretty in the morning. I finished up sermon stuff, and I'm like, no, nah, no, nah, this is, the priority the priority is this. And, and I finished I finished about two o'clock, and then I am out there and it starts raining on me while I'm while I'm. Uh, We call them weed whackers or weed eaters, a whippersnapper, that's it. Sorry, trying to remember the Aussie term. So I'm out there, you know, it starts raining on me. But I was thinking about this grass, you know, grass can get tall and proud, and it's out there. But unless you trim it, right, it doesn't really look that good, right? Grass in my front yard looked terrible. Went out there after I was done, it was beautiful, right? It's not a pretty small yard, but still look good. I was thinking after I got done, I was like, "It's amazing the difference between wild, unkempt grass in your yard versus like a clean yard with it with all trimmed up around the bushes and the flowers." Well, if God just let us grow freely, right? Will we be of any use? Right? You can't really use a yard that's unkempt for anything. Would it be any use? Right? Would it look good? I have to be careful stretching this analogy too far, but. That's, that's the idea of trials, suffering in your life. God uses those things to, to, to chip away the, the idols of your heart. You want to see where what the idols are in your heart. What do you love? What do you hate losing? What do you get angry about or frustrated when you can't have? That's the idol. And some people, it's just, it's random. Maybe it, maybe it's uh, it's power, prestige. Maybe it's uh, physical intimacy and companionship. Maybe it's I want to go on a holiday because I deserve it and I can't and I'm angry. You see, we we can love things more than Christ, and the trials, the pressures that God allows, that God brings in our life, help reveal the nature and the situation with our hearts. So James says, when you're suffering, pray. Flip over with me to Psalm 55. It's a beautiful psalm. I have the privilege of each week going through these psalms and and doing my pastor's comments. And it's been a wonderful study for me. Hopefully you guys have enjoyed that as well. But Psalm 55 Because I want you to to listen to David. The psalms are great in that we see David's experience and we can bring our own experiences to the Word of God because David and and the psalmist who written these psalms have such a a variety of experiences, whether it's sleepless nights or anxiety or fear or dread or happy times. I think we can bring our experiences and the, the psalms echo those experiences. From thousands of years ago, because human nature hasn't changed. Listen to David in verse 1. Give ear to my prayer, O God, and do not hide yourself from my supplication. Give heed to me and answer me. Listen to this I am restless in my complaint, and I am surely distracted. Does that describe you? Are you restless at times and distracted? Are you complaining to the Lord? And he says, because of the voice of my enemy, because of the pressure of the wicked, for they bring trouble upon me, and in anger they bear grudge. Listen to verse 4. My heart is in anguish, and the terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fear and trembling come upon me. See, David's in great fear, and horror has overwhelmed me. Listen to this, and all that I had wings like a dove that I would fly away and be at rest. Behold, I would wander far away. I would lodge in the wilderness. He's praying for a holiday, right? He's praying, Lord, if I had wings, I would fly away from my situation. It's so hard. You guys ever said that in your life, in a situation? It's tough. Whether it's about a person, whether it's about a circumstance. If only, oh, just Lord, I'm just tired of this. I just want to get away. I want to get away from this situation for a little while. Look over at verse 16. He says, "As for me, I shall call upon the Lord, and the Lord will save me. Evening and morning and noon I will complain and murmur, and he will hear my voice." That's praying. He's praying 3 times a day. And what is he doing? He's murmuring, he's complaining, he's he's being honest with the Lord. Right? That's prayer life, brethren. Right? God knows what's in your heart. I mean David's not complaining and accusing God of unfaithfulness of lack of goodness or injustice, but he's just talking about the Lord or talking about his situation to the Lord. Lord, why is this happening? What's going on? What are you trying to teach me? What should I learn about myself? What should I learn about your character?? Right? Then look over in verse 22. This is, this is David's advice. After all has been said and done, he says, cast your burden upon the Lord and He will sustain you. He will never allow the righteous to be shaken. Literally, shaken from your faith. Paul says something very similar here. God will not allow you to be tempted beyond but what you can bear. Right? Cast your burdens. Brother, when you're going through tough times, why in the world, use that expression, why in the world are you going through it alone? Right? Why aren't you spending time with the Lord? And we all all can get caught up in the things around us and the, the busyness of life. But you're cutting yourself off from comfort and joy and strength and communion. We we do the Lord's Supper. It's called communion. It's called communion is just fellowship with the Lord. We're celebrating His his what? His death and resurrection. We're remembering His his death for us on a cross. We're we're celebrating that fact. And when it comes to Jesus, know that that the work of Christ is finished. He secured our salvation. But remember, His his care, His shepherding of you will never be finished. Romans 8, 34, Jesus is the one who died. More than that, he was the one who raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed intercede, sorry, is interceding for us. It's a continual thing. Jesus intercedes for us. My little children, in 1 John 2, 1, I am writing these things so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous so Satan accuses you before God, just like Satan accuses Job. And God refuses to listen because we have Jesus Christ, our advocate, our high priest, who, who points continuously to His blood that has covered our sins once and for all. He intercedes for us in our weakness. He provides forgiveness. He's our mediator. There's only one mediator between God and men, 1 Timothy 2.5. It's Jesus Christ. And by the way, He sympathizes in our weakness. Hebrews 4.15, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us in our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are and yet without sin. What a wonderful thought. Think about that for a second. When you go to Christ and you're praying your heart out and you're struggling with indwelling sin, the same sin that keeps besetting you, Jesus, has, Jesus understands He was tempted. He was tempted in in lust and pride. He understands. And when you go through suffering and hardship, Jesus went through suffering and hardship. And that's how Paul can say that, that God is the God of all comfort. When it comes to the care and shepherding of His sheep, the great shepherd cares for you. He hears your prayers. He intercedes for you. He, his blood refutes the accusations of Satan. And his grace sustains you. And so prayer for us believers, for all of us, is the proper response to trials and times of suffering. Right, Your troubles to drive you to your knees. Do You know what they used to call James, by the way? They called James camel knees. He was on his knees so much, he developed calluses on his knees, and, that, and and they called him camel knees. Have you ever seen camel's knees? They're always on their knees. No skin, hair, anything grows there. And I can testify that that really happens. When I worked for a vendor, I was delivering product. I was always on my knees, and it wasn't in prayer, but it was always on my knees, and I developed calluses on my knees. And I can tell you that that really happens. If you're on your knees that much, you'll have camel knees. So James lived out what he preached. You know, our prayers, our lives should should be in accord with the book of James. When you think about what what has James said for us in the book of James, we go through trials. James has said in in chapter 1, verses 2 and 4, that God has a purpose in trials. So when you're praying to God, you can say, Lord, I know you have a purpose. I don't understand that purpose, and I might never understand that purpose, other than the fact that I know you want to, what, increase my endurance and increase my faith. James also says that when we go through trials, in verse 13 of chapter 1, we shouldn't accuse God of evil. Lord, it's your fault that I've fallen into this temptation and sin. If only the, the outside pressures hadn't have been so great, I wouldn't have this bad attitude, or I wouldn't have fallen into sin. James says, no, 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 no. You, you chose to sin. You chose to go along with your own lust and desires. God desires good. God desires you to, to resist the flesh, resist sin, respond to trials appropriately in the strength that he provides. It goes back to the Apostle Paul, prayed in Second Corinthians, and a thorn, he had a thorn in the flesh, and he replied repeatedly, Lord, please take away this thorn. And God's response was what? My grace is sufficient for you. James says the same thing. Chapter 4, verse 6, he says that God gives a greater Grace. What's the grace greater? The grace is greater than the allure of this world. The grace is greater than the temptation of this world. The grace is greater than your indwelling sin. So James also says that God gives good to His children in James chapter 1, verses 17 through 18. God gives us good. Everything that you have that is good is given to you by God, right? And if you remember that in prayer... Right? It's that old song we what we count our blessings one by one. We remember our blessings, you remember those good things, and that should help us with our attitude. Once again, I said James 4 6, God gives us the grace to endure suffering and overcome sin. But but James also says in chapter 5, verse 7 that we should not seek personal vengeance, but trust in God's justice. That's hard. It's hard. Somebody, somebody who is who is causing you to suffer or is attacking you and your family, even online, right? That's a big thing online. You you can attack someone. James says, "Look, don't don't respond." James says, "Look, let God take vengeance. His vengeance will be far more accurate and far more." damning really and then James says pray pray here in verse 13 draw near to God I love that I love that in James chapter 4 draw near to God verse 8 and he will draw near to you how often do we forget you know one of my favorite hymns is what a friend we have in Jesus I love this hymn what, what a friend we have in Jesus all our sins and griefs to bear what a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear! all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Right? Have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged? Take it to the Lord in prayer? Can we find a friend so faithful who all who with all our sorrows share, Jesus knows our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Are we weak and heavy laden, cumbered with a load of care? Precious Savior, still our refuge. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Do your friends despise, forsake you? Take it to the Lord in prayer. In His arms, He'll take and shield thee. Thou wilt find a solace there. Blessed Savior, Thou hast promised, Thou wilt all our burdens bear. May we ever, Lord, be bringing all to thee in prayer. Soon in glory bright and clouded, there will be no need for prayer. Rapture, praise, and endless worship will be our sweet portion there. Brethren, you you don't have to go through troubles alone. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Know that he cares for you. But James also says, not only during times of suffering, he said, is there anyone among you cheerful? He used to sing praises. The cheer there is, a, is an inner attitude of, of good courage, of good cheer. We would say, you're feeling good. Right? You're, you're not going, maybe you're not going through suffering at this time. And James is contrasting the two because he's trying to encompass all of human life. You know, our lives are often like that wave. We go up and we come down. And we go up and we come down. And that's like life. Life is a good times. And then there's times of trouble and suffering. And then it's good times again. And sometimes the trough is very wide. And sometimes the what the valleys are, seem to endure forever. James is contrasting this. Because one of the things about good times is we can have a tendency to forget God. James actually says, one seventeen, Every good thing and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation and shifting shadow. And James says, look, when, when you have these times, these good times, these times of cheer and joy, and James is saying, basically, you will have these times. They're a gift from God. He says you need to what? Sing praises. We often don't think of that, that, that singing praises is a type of prayer. you realize that? you're praising God for who He is and what he's done. That's worship we're responding to God and when we sing praises that's an that's an aspect of prayer because what we're doing we're publicly thanking God for what he's done, for who he is, for his works, his nature, his character, and by the way, James is, once again, this is a command, and it's a habitual practice. Brethren, don't forget God in the good times. Right? We, we all tend to remember the Lord when things don't go so smoothly, but remember Him when things go well. That's why James is, James is basically laying this out and saying, look, prayer is for all seasons. Don't forget God. And he means this, you think about singing praises. This is an individual act, just like prayer, individual petition or petitionary prayer, excuse me, like he says in the beginning. But it's also a corporate activity. Right? We come together and we, what do we do? We, we're singing praises to God. It can't be duplicated by video. Right? It can't be duplicated at your home by yourself. It's corporate worship in the body of Christ. We're called a body for that reason. Right? We we gather together as a local body, each indispensable to each other. So remember God in all your circumstances. Your, the exultant feelings that you have should result in expressions of praise. Ephesians 5, 18 through 20. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. You think about Matthew 6, 9, the Lord's Prayer, or better better aptly named the Disciples' Prayer, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Right? hallowed, worthy of honor and praise. I like what Moses says as we've been getting ready to go into Judges. Moses is preaching in Deuteronomy, and this is his his sermon to the second generation after the wilderness generation has died off, and he's preaching to them, and right before he's going to die himself, in chapter 8, in verse 10, he says, "'When you have eaten and are satisfied,' You shall bless the Lord your God for the good land which He has given you. Verse 11, Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping His commandments and His ordinances and His statutes which I am giving you today. Otherwise, when you have eaten and you are satisfied and have built good houses and lived in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply, and your silver and gold multiply, and all that you have multiplies, then your heart what will become proud, and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You see, that's the temptation. That was the temptation, and we know that happened, as we're going to see more and more in Judges. But that's a temptation for us. We go through those times of darkness, go, to, go through the valley or the, the, the valley of the shadow of death, and we pray and let, Lord, help us. We're struggling and we're being oppressed and we're, we're de- depressed. And we're sad and we're fearful and we're, we're in, in deep prayer and communion with the Lord. And then things, things get better and things are going great. And what do we do? We, we basically kind of put God on the back burner. And we live our lives as if He's not actually still involved. To so rejoice, praise the Lord, and, and resist the, the temptation to be self-sufficient and proud because that's what it is. And we think that things are going great and, and we can handle it. Lord, you helped me during the tough times. Now I'm taking back the wheel of the car. It's kind of there's an old bumper sticker. I remember I've ever had this one in, in Oz but in the States. Says, God is my co-pilot. Really? So you're still in charge, huh? God, you know, the co-pilot really doesn't do anything but sit there, Right? Now, actually, God's the pilot, and during the good times, we kind of kick him out of the seat and we take control again. Lord, thanks, thanks for the thanks for the help in the in the valley of the shadow of death. But I got this; I'm good, Brethren, I read the other day that communist China is removing or has removed more than 900 crosses from atop Christian churches in the eastern province of Anhui. Part of the Communist Party's program to eliminate Western symbols and values. They want to uh, synthize Christianity. They're even, at this current time, rewriting the Bible to fit the party line. They're jailing pastors and leaders. And if you resist, you become an enemy of the state. And the way they coerce people into lying is through outright threat of violence, re-education camps, but they're also doing it more subtly. And they do it like this. They say if you don't want to follow our version of Christianity, then we're gonna take away your health care. We're going to take away your pension. Because these are all government programs. We're gonna keep it make it so your kids can't go to uni. Get good jobs. And if that doesn't work, then maybe some of your family members will disappear for re-education. You see, for our fellow brothers and sisters in China, suffering for a cause of Christ is real. But That persecution can easily spread here, and you can see it. You can just imagine speaking out on abortion, homosexuality as a sin, or, or transgenderism. Or just plain immorality of our culture and watch and see what happens. God willing, Jesus will come back before we face intense persecution. But imagine what you would do if the government said those things to you. If you want to be a Christian, all right, there's no health care for you. There's no pensions. Your kids will have less opportunity. But praise the Lord that this life is not what's the most important. It's the next. This, this life, I was trying to explain this to my kids the other day, this life is a blip, right? This, this life is a, is, a, is a snap of your fingers, a, a, a blink of the eye, and then eternity is thousands and thousands and thousands and on and on and on forever we live for the life to come i still i love what it says in in acts after the apostles were beaten by the sanhedrin they were beaten and they sanhedrin said don't preach christ anymore and they released them and it says that they rejoiced that they had the privilege of suffering for jesus christ Brethren, praise God if we're in a time of good cheer, and you're in a good time of good cheer. Remember God in the good times. Sing praises that you can worship Him in peace. If you're going through struggles and suffering right now, pray. If you're going through good times, pray. And that's James' point. And we'll see this even more as we get into this passage next week. Remember that prayer is for good times and is for times of trouble. Remember God both in the good and the bad. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you encourage us and we are encouraged by your comforts. Lord, help us to heed this command to pray, to, to make it a part of our lives, to be diligent, to be disciplined, knowing that it requires time, it requires efforts. We discipline ourselves for, for sports. We discipline ourselves for other things. Help us to discipline ourselves for fellowship with you, knowing that it is to our benefit that, that we are able to fellowship. That not only do we receive joy, and peace, and strength, and grace, but we're able to fellowship directly with You and see Your mighty hand at work in our lives and in the world around us and praise You for it. As we submit to providence, we see Your hand and we we see the things that we prayed about be answered. And we, in turn, give You glory for it. Lord, we thank you so much that you're still actively involved in our lives, that you're shepherding us even now through your word. Give us the strength to obey. Lord, help us to draw near to you. Draw near to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.